0: What's going on, everyone? It's Friday, February 11th. I'm Zachary Crockett, and you are listening to The Hustle Daily Show. Juliette Bennett-Ryla is back in the house with me today. In addition to being one of our best reporters, Juliet also has the loudest neighbor in the entire city of Los Angeles.
1: It's true. I learned what a plate compactor was the other day because they were using it for 10 hours.
0: <laughs> We've got a really special guest today. Uh, she doesn't really need an introduction, but I'm gonna give her one anyway. She's one of the funniest people on TikTok. She's traveled around the world solo and she just so happens to run our social media team here at The Hustle. Nicole Phillips, good to have you.
2: Hello everyone, thank you for having me all.
0: So Nicole and Juliet, uh, they're gonna talk us through a bunch of crazy stuff today. Inflation, terrible Olympics ratings, their big business moves by Snoop Dogg and Sting and a controversial ad that has people on Twitter in a little bit of a tizzy. But before we get into all that, let's do a quick news breakdown. Here's what's going on. First off, a little Peloton update here. So earlier this week, we talked about how their stock took a hit and they laid off about 2,800 people or 20% of their corporate workforce. Well, the new CEO, Barry McCarthy, hasn't exactly gotten a warm welcome. Uh, His first all-hands meeting was crashed by disgruntled employees who left comments in the Zoom meeting like, I'm going to sell all my Peloton apparel to pay my bills. Of course, uh, it's understandable they're angry. Fired employees reportedly were given a severance along with a 12-month subscription to Peloton. Canadian trekkers are blocking not one but three major crossings at the US-Canada border as they continue to protest a cross-border vaccine mandate. So you may say who the hell cares, but Canada sends 75% of its exports to the United States That's $1.5 billion worth of trade every day flowing across the border, so it's kind of a big deal, and authorities are working on dispersing that traffic. McDonald's is hatching up a plan to open restaurants in the metaverse. The company just registered 10 trademarks, including applications for operating a virtual restaurant, including actual and virtual goods. They're not the only company getting into the space. Panera Bread wants to create its own virtual chain called the Paneraverse. No word yet on uh, what a virtual McNugget tastes like, but our team is going to follow this closely and keep you posted. And lastly, SpaceX lost 40 satellites affiliated with its Starlink internet project. They have blamed it on a geomagnetic storm, which is coincidentally the same excuse that I used in college when my papers were late. All right, that's going to do it for the quick hits. And in the words of our writer, Jacob Cohen, let's get crack-a-lacking on the main stories. All right, so let's start things off here uh, with a little Olympics discussion. Over the first four days of NBC coverage, they averaged 12.7 million viewers per day. And I'm sorry if I offend anyone by saying this, but just for comparison's sake, NCIS, like that super boring drama TV series about special agents or whatever. Um, it gets 12.6 million viewers a week. So Olympics is getting roughly the same viewership as NCIS right now. So take that for whatever it's worth. So um, NBC paid like almost $8 billion for 10 years of exclusive rights to air the Olympics. Uh, Nicole, I know you, you worked for NBC during the Tokyo Olympics and NBC kind of has a stranglehold on exclusive rights. How important are the Olympics to this network and what do you think this slip might mean for them?
2: It's crazy because, I mean, think about it. So as you mentioned, they paid eight billion dollars for the rights to air the Olympics through 2032. So, like, imagine how many jaws hit the floor when they saw how that opening (laughs) ceremony performed. So as you mentioned, yes, I did work there during the Tokyo Olympics and it is an all hands on deck situation. Like, it's no joke. Like, it doesn't matter what brand you are. You are Mm. promoting this two week long Olympic Games. You know what I'm saying? So there's a lot of effort and a lot of care that goes into it. And, you know, it's pretty much kind of like how all the rest of the world felt after we were kind of, you know, done with the Tokyo Olympics. I mean, honestly, (laughs) I was done before the Olympics even started with how hard we had to push to even get it going. We're like big size all around, like, okay, we have to do this again in six months. You know what I'm saying? So If that's how, like, people are feeling working it, then you have to imagine how people are probably feeling watching it, you know?
0: Yeah. That's also, like, such a good point. I I, I totally forgot that the Summer Olympics had been, like, crushed back. So, like, this is really, like, a huge back-to-back effort, that they're pulling off.
2: And how many people watch the Winter Olympics to begin with? I don't remember ever like that being at the top of my mind when it comes to the Winter Olympics, like Summer Olympics for sure. Yeah. Can you name three Winter Olympics games? I
0: can't, I I literally have, I don't even, like last time I watched the Winter Olympics, there was like some weird ass, like it was like a medley of like skiing and shooting, (laughs) which is like the most boring thing in the world to watch other than NCIS. (laughs) (laughs) But, but also like this, this obviously like doesn't really capture the whole story. I, uh, there's obviously been like a big shift from like TV to digital viewership in recent years. And I know NBC might not publicly track that data as much.
2: Yeah. So they definitely do have the switch to, you know, Peacock. So like a lot of people are saying, Oh, it's more convenient also to watch the Olympics on Peacock. But as we've seen, like, there's also like, struggles with streaming going on. And we even reported recently, like after they have like the big signups for the Olympics, like signups just drop. Like people aren't, you Mm -hmm. know, even though we have this big digital shift, people aren't super, you know, into the whole like streaming service thing right now to begin with, especially when you have so many options.
1: Yeah. I feel like peak Olympics for me was when I was a small child and the Tanya Harding, Nancy Kerrigan scandal happened. And that was like, well, I got to watch this showdown of the century on ice. And I was like really into it as a kid. And now I, (laughs) yeah, I mean, I I still feel like figure skating is kind of amazing to watch because I cannot believe that people can do these amazing things with their bodies while being on ice. Um, But yeah, it just does not have the same draw for me as it did when I was a kid.
0: All right. Well, let's move on here to uh, probably the biggest story that came out today is that the U.S. Labor Department just released its latest report on inflation figures, and they are not looking good. Uh, The Consumer Price Index, which measures the costs of dozens of everyday consumer goods, uh, it rose seven point five percent compared to last January, and that may sound small, but that's the biggest increase year over year since nineteen eighty two, and just for context in the 2008 financial crisis it was around 5.6%. So we're we're handily outpacing that there. But I'm I'm curious like, you know, to hear from you both what kind of real life impacts you've seen in in prices being driven up over the last year.
1: So one thing that happened that was kind of strange. So my my big problem is that I would like to buy a house and I don't think that's ever going to happen in my life because I live in Los Angeles. But a smaller strange thing happened. Uh, I had some friends contact me and ask if we had any extra cat litter. We use these um, hmm. pellets, like little pellets that you kind of like scoop in. The, I don't know. It's, it's, it's different from like the kitty litter. And we're like, yeah, sure. Uh, we have some extra that you can have. And apparently the reason they were asking is they typically order it from Amazon. And it was like several times as much as it typically was for cat litter. It was just the weirdest purchase where they were like, can we borrow some from you versus paying four times as much to fill our litter box? And I was like, what a weird, what a weird thing.
0: Yeah. There's like so many bizarre things on the shelf. Um, I feel like, you know, my grocery bill has gone up by like 20 or 30 bucks in the last year. Food has obviously gone up in price. Energy costs are up 27%. Like my energy bill is out of control now. Um, obviously used cars, fuel prices are up more than 40%, but, uh, it really just seems like across the board from, you know, gasoline to kitty litter, apparently life's just getting a little more unaffordable.
2: Yeah. I mean, if I knew how to cook, I would totally have your back there on the grocery thing, (laughs) but I'm always (laughs) like on Uber Eats. So I don't know what the price (laughs) of groceries were before they are (laughs) what they are now. Um, but in terms of like energy costs, like I've definitely seen like my electricity bill going up and up, even as like I have it completely, you know, turned off for the most part I'm because I'm in Florida in the wintertime, which means it is like, just 60 degrees pretty much all the time, which is fine. Right. But still, I've been seeing my bill going up to like,
1: you know, summer levels, which make absolutely no sense because I'm not running hmm. AC and all that. Have you noticed the prices of your Uber Eats bills going up Um, or like w- when you do get takeout? Is that more now?
2: Yeah, but I'm not sure if the correlation is like me ordering more sides in general and like all the <laughs> things that I'm adding on to it. I'm probably not the best person to ask cuz I just kind of like press the order button and like and close yeah. my eyes and just accept whatever it is that's that I'm paying, but I have noticed that for some reason a $10 meal ends up at 26 in the end every yeah, time. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: All right. Well, you know, like getting back, you know, we we have The disappointing thing is that, you know, inflation's up by 7.5%. Wages have also gone up, but only by like 4% year over year, I think. Um, So it's not quite enough to keep up. And one byproduct of that is consumers are taking on more credit card debt. Credit card debt nationally is up to like $860 billion um, this year, and it's projected to increase more. These inflation figures obviously don't bode well for the larger context of what's happening right now in the economy.
2: Not at all, because I feel like I've been paying off the same $4,000, whatever, like every month for a very long time.
0: Right, right. Mm -hmm. Well, someone who does not owe a lot of money is Sting. Uh, He is the lead singer of The Police. You know, he had hits like every breath you take, every little thing she does is magic. Uh, he just sold his music catalog to Universal Music for a deal reportedly worth $300 million. Uh, Nicole and Juliet, I think the interesting thing here is not necessarily Sting's deal, but we've seen just like an insane number of these deals in the past year. Bruce Springsteen sold his catalog for something like $550 million. Bob Dylan in two separate deals sold his catalog. Motley Crue, Stevie Nicks, Neil Young have all struck similar deals. I think it's worth posting the question, like, why are all these artists selling their catalogs right now?
1: So I was reading in the Wall Street Journal that investors and music publishers have been buying catalogs for like up to 30 times as much as average annual royalties. Wow. So when you think about a lot of these musicians, they're older. And they're planning their estates. So they're basically getting a big lump sum now versus depending on royalties in the future. Mm. And a lot of musicians had to cancel tours and engagements due to the pandemic. So it's kind of a good deal for them at this moment. Um, I was reading some quotes from musicians who had sold And Sting was just like, oh, I want to have my body of work in one place. But David Crosby basically said that streaming stole all of his record money and now he has no (laughs) choice but to take care of his family and pay his mortgage, which is another reason why this is happening because of the rise of streaming. So these record labels can basically take advantage of low interest rates, buy up these catalogs and count on it to pay off later. Legacy music like this is kind of recession proof. So now all the streaming revenue is theirs hmm. and anytime they want to put it in a in like a tv show or a movie or a commercial or a video game or make a biopic about somebody like they already have those rights
0: so it kind of seems like a win-win for both sides especially given that you know as we just wrote about the average stream on spotify brings in like 0.003 of a cent or something like that streaming is not a lucrative endeavor for most artists
2: yeah and i also noticed as you mentioned like a lot of those artists seem to be old, you know older music artists and mm-hmm. as you were saying juliet it's kind of like why wait on these royalties take the money and run like do sure. what you gotta mm-hmm. do you know so makes total sense to me
1: yeah and some of these you know it's kind of like a lot of these musicians they're timeless you know it's not like this song is gonna these songs are gonna fall out of favor and you're never gonna hear them again or or you're just only going to hear them in like deep cut nostalgia playlists. So for example, I looked up David Bowie on TuneFind, which is a site that catalogs sync placements. And he, his estate sold his catalog to Warner Music in a deal estimated for $250 million. And I only looked at shows and movies that used his music in 2021. And this is not even a complete list, but it was House of Gucci, Borella, Licorice Pizza, The Snow Piercer TV Show, The Goldbergs, Fear Street, and just like that, The Handmaid's Tale, Sex Educations, The Simpsons, and NCIS.
0: Oh my gosh, no way. <laughs> yeah. No way. So, I mean, even in
1: 2021, tons of people are, are trying to get his music in there. And I imagine that's <laughs> the same for Springsteen and The Police and, and all these other legacy bands.
0: Something else really crazy happened this week <laughs> um, Snoop Dogg bought Death Row Records. And just just a little brief here, Death Row Records was founded in 1992 by Dr. Dre and uh, Suga Knight and a few others. And it really became the de facto West Coast label for many of like the biggest hip-hop albums of the 90s. Uh, you had Dr. Dre's The Chronic, Snoop Dogg's Doggy Style, Tupac's All Eyes on Me. Um, and at its peak, this was a label that was making $100 million plus a year. And in the late 90s, things kind of fell apart a little bit. Tupac was murdered. Suga Knight was imprisoned. They filed for bankruptcy in 2006, and they went through like various owners uh, before they landed in the hands of Blackstone, this huge international uh, investment firm. So now Snoop Dogg just bought it back for an undisclosed sum. And the reason I found this interesting, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on this, is just it's a really rare instance of an artist coming back and reclaiming ownership of this company that they started at. Uh, Snoop Dogg kind of got his start at death row records and now uh, you know 30 years later he's coming back and taking over the entire operation
2: yeah talk about boss moves it's this is definitely like a full circle moment right here and i'm pretty sure that this is might have been even something that snoop dogg had been thinking about for a while and he's finally at the point in his career where he can actually do it now i say all this with the um, little caveat here because I was talking to my boss prior that um, I was a very young child when <laughs> Death Row Records was like at its peak. So I'm like, sure, I'm sure. speaking from the point of view of someone who's like looking back on history but was not actually a uh, thinking cognitive, you know, human sure. at the time that any of this took place. He was like fanboying <laughs> about this when I was chatting with him. And I was like, oh, 2000. He talked about a tour that happened in 2000. I was like, um, I was a second grader.
1: <laughs> like, I don't know about this.
2: <laughs> yeah. I feel
1: like I see Snoop Dogg in the strangest places, too. Like, uh, I saw him <laughs> on an episode of Mythic Quest. He's just in it. Um, he is hosting the Puppy Bowl with Martha Stewart this weekend. Uh, which I believe airs on Animal Planet, Uh, I saw a bottle of wine with his face on it, and it had an augmented reality label that if I held my phone over it, he would talk. And I just just like, what... Where isn't Snoop Dogg? Look, Snoop Dogg is
2: building his empire. We were, we were sleeping and he was doing his thing. Like, we kind <laughs> of <gotta laughs> hand it to him. And you know what? I'm so glad that he's making this move. And, you know, I'm counting this as a win, a Black History Month win, because there have been a lot of fumbles this month. <laughs> so True. I'm making this win. And that is awesome to see.
0: Do you want to brief us on some of those fumbles, Nicole? Like, oh, what, what the heck is going fumbles. on? Fumbles. Did you
2: see the recent one on Twitter? the The Houston Transit Authority or whatever they have like. Oh, it was like the bus or something, right? Yes. So basically, like, the, it's like the Houston Transit Authority or something was like, you know, who cares about voting rights? We're just gonna put a placeholder for Rosa Parks here in this in this like front of the bus to re- like i don't know they're like we love black people here is this seat this rosa parks seat now to represent black history when el- everyone else is like oh yeah we didn't ask for that we would love to have uh voting rights or like equal opportunity but you're giving us a bus seat mm. All right Or how about Bath and Body Works? I don't know if you guys saw recently, someone in their boardroom thought it would be a great idea to slap some kente cloth on a watermelon scented candle and make just a whole line of Black History Month. And I wouldn't even say fragrances because it's the same old fragrances with some like, I don't know, black and fying. I don't know what they want to call it, but that's what they tried to do essentially. (laughs) And everyone else is like looking at this like, okay, who came up with this idea and why? There's so many other ways like, partnering with a Black-owned candle business or, you know, soap business or something like that, that would have actually been more beneficial than what the hell y'all decided to do.
0: There's just a lot of, like, really bad virtue signaling around Black History Month where it's, you know, companies don't actually put in real effort. They just go after, like, low-hanging fruits, it seems.
1: Yeah, it's like rainbow capitalism where it's just like... Sure. We're going to do the least. Now give us money, please. Yeah, and it's not just Black History Month because we see that with,
2: like... Women's History Month, like, it's coming. Like, next month, we'll see it again <laughs> with Women's History Month. And then Pride oh, right. Month when they're, like, shitting rainbows everywhere. And then in July, they don't care anymore. <laughs> you know, it's it's just... And people never learn, never learn from the mistakes. And we're just going to be in this vicious cycle until we have more diverse representation at these companies and that they're actually doing things that are going to benefit these communities that they claim to want to help through this, like, pandering. Mm.
0: Well, on that note, we're, we have to talk about... um this Adidas ad that is like making waves all over social. Nicole, can you kind of give us a primer, fill us in a little bit on this? I actually am a little out of the loop on this one.
2: So, Adidas ad, they have a sports bra that's ranging in 43 different styles, and they attempted to destigmatize the female anatomy in a movement that we seen across the years, like the Free the Nip movement. What they did was an ad campaign showing the bare chests of women from all shapes and sizes and shades. And the boys are triggered. I am saying some people are calling it softcore porn. People are comparing it to, you know, showing NSFW orifices. Just say that. Or screaming, think of the children, which, by the way, most people that worry about what children think should probably be more concerned about why their minds sexualize everything, but that's for another conversation. So sure. there are some women who were also against it, while others enjoyed seeing a representative campaign that shows that not all women's breasts look like IG models. We're not all out here walking around looking like Kardashians. We, have, we are regular women <laughs> with natural bodies, and people love to see that. But unfortunately, there
1: were a lot of people speaking a little bit louder than those. Yep. <laughs> I mean, I am, I I will say it did generate interest for me in the way that it was supposed to. I saw that they had, you know, their sports bra line had over 40 different styles, I think, in a bunch of different sizes. And I was like, hey, I might check that out later um, because I've been wearing the same gym clothes in my house since the pandemic, you know, I'm back to the gym. It made me think like, yeah, maybe I will check that out. So it at least in one person generated the type of interest it was supposed to. I am interested hmm. in purchasing a sports bra. Well, <laughs> then it did its job. Like, OK, Cla- yeah, it
2: that's exactly <laughs> what they were hoping for. Yeah. So
0: at the end of the day, it's about selling more sports bras, right?
2: <laughs> yeah. At the end of the day, that's what it's about. You know, I was actually interested, of course, because I'm the you know social media manager here. So this is what I'm thinking. I wonder how they would have presented that same ad campaign on Instagram. I actually didn't see if they did, but, you know, Instagram is like, they're far more conservative on there, right, than on Twitter. On Twitter, if you search the the wrong thing, you could end up in some dark places. But on Instagram, I think even people mm-hmm. like Chelsea Handler have had some issues with, you know, their censorship of the female chest and things like that. So I, I was wondering, I was just like, okay, so this works on Twitter. I wonder, like, is are they going to, like, have to do I don't know, emojis like Photoshop on some Mm. like, I don't know, tassels or something to put it on Instagram or something like that, because it's very interesting Mm. that they were able to do this on Twitter and they knew what platform they were doing it on, that this is a more accepting platform than some others. Mm -hmm. Yeah,
0: that's a great point. Twitter has been a little more liberal about censoring things, right?
2: Yeah. Yeah. Just just in general, they tend to be a lot more liberal when it comes to like imagery and things like that. Instagram is pretty fast to kind of take down a photo or anything like that. But especially when it comes to the female anatomy, particularly women's chests, you do see that Mm -hmm. they get a lot of backlash. Instagram gets a lot of backlash when it comes to that. But there's, you know, this has been a movement for some time now. So maybe we're going to start seeing some changes on how Instagram decides or doesn't decide to censor. I don't know if you guys know this, but in New York City women can walk around topless, apparently. I did know that. Yes, yes. It was like this big thing. I remember while I was living there that women could walk around topless. So we're seeing some changes just societally and maybe that will extend across all of social media. But I did think that that was just a cool move by Adidas to particularly do it on the Twitter platform, to me, it was just kind of like a reminder of like, yeah, like you can do these sorts of things on Twitter. Twitter is of more of a, I guess, open, expressive platform. And as a social media manager, those are the things I think about.
0: All right, everyone, that's going to do it for us. Thanks for listening to The Hustle Daily Show. We're a proud part of the HubSpot Podcast Network. I'm Zachary Crockett, Juliet Nicole. Thanks for joining us today. And shout out to our producers, Darren Clark and Matt Brown. If you liked what you heard today, we've got a lot more where that came from over at thehustle.co.
1: Catch you all tomorrow.